Hello and welcome to the Mallow Street podcast, where I'm talking to people from across the pensions industry to find out how they came to work in pensions, how they have carved out a niche for themselves and what advice they would give someone who is just starting out in this field. I'm Sandra Wolfe, editor at Mallow Street, and with me is Neil McPherson, who is the managing director of professional trustee company, Capital Cranfield. Neil, welcome. Thank you very much, Sandra. Um, Neil, you run a professional trustee firm now, but presumably you've had other roles in your life. Can you, um, have you always worked in pensions? Uh, no, not always. Uh, I had 20 odd years as a banker at Citibank, and then uh, a decade at Standard Life, but my pension experience came when I was working for Citibank as a banker, when I was um, their financial institutions group head in Amsterdam. So it was Dutch pensions that got me. The uh, Dutch pension funds were a very large part of their customer base. This was in the um, mid nineties when Dutch pension funds were exploring the rest of the world and uh, many of the developments that have led Dutch pension funds to be so well regarded were happening around that time. So it was a very interesting time um, and they were investing actively in emerging markets and overseas equities, etc. Uh, in great contrast to the UK at that time, which was largely in pooled UK uh, funds. So that's very interesting. Do you draw on that experience a lot? from Right up to today in that... Uh, all the talk about consolidation um, was already underway in the Dutch market then. Um, industry funds, which were a central feature of the Dutch market, and of course CDC, um, which was also a feature of the Dutch market, emerging at that time. So there were many lessons learned, I think, from the Dutch market there. Um, some more extreme than, uh, than here, and they've developed a long way. Fiduciary management, there's another uh, thing that's... Um, area that's been very active here in the last few years or so has been well established in the Dutch market for, for many years. And of course the whole fiduciary, professional trustees, um, professionalization of trustees rather uh, model has been in place in Holland much longer than it has in the UK. Mm-hmm. And which areas do you think the UK um, still has to improve on? Well, they're going to struggle with consolidation on the Dutch model um, because I don't think we have the the infrastructure that the Dutch do. Um, uh, apart from on the asset side, there's still a lot of scope on um, consolidating uh, asset management and the management of, uh, of assets, which the Dutch have done for many, many years. But more importantly, I think I'm a great um, fan of CDC, as are... Um, some of my colleagues, notably Kevin Westbroom, who joined us from Aon, has been a leading uh, proponent of, um, of CDC. We have uh, both the Royal Mail, DB and DC, um, with, are managed by trustees within Capital Cranfield. Um, and of course, see there the pathfinders on CDC. When I went to Standard Life, I wrote an article, this was again in the uh, early thousands, extolling the virtues of the Dutch DC model of having a soft landing effectively and not throwing everything on the on the backs of uh, of the individual member and I got a very sharp message from the head of DC at the insurance company saying I was tra- trashing the company's main product which didn't go down too well but I still believe that we have a, we've improved a lot since then uh, in doing things. Mm-hmm. And 
So you're in favour of CDC? Very much so. I think in terms of there's always issues in the way, I think, um, and, and important points on intergenerational transfers and, and equity. Um, but as a concept and as a model, um, it is much, much better for Bemba's uh, outcomes, I feel, than the current rather blunt system we have now, as has been shown by 401k in the States, as has been shown by member pots here in the UK. And do you think um, CDC will um, have a future beyond Royal Mail? Uh, depending on consolidations, you need scale in order to achieve that, but some of the master trusts may be in a good place who will have that scale after the authorization process is done to at least look into that and I think it would be a very compelling offering um, for both sponsors but particularly for members if work in that regard is, uh, is, is developed. And uh, one of the things I found fascinating when looking at your CV was the, um, your work with the Kosovo Pension Savings Trust. Yes, that was interesting. How did this come about? Well, well Citibank was very active in emerging market pensions, um, both in Eastern Europe and particularly in Latin America. And I was in, responsible for pensions um, as a client base in Western Europe. And for their since I was invited on the, um, the Russian um, pension um, regime. So they were reviewing their pension schemes, which was a story in itself. But the lawyer advising the Russians was also advising the UN in Kosovo. This is just after the war, whereas part of the reconstruction, they were re rebuilding everything from the power networks to the sewage, to the police, to the customs and the pensions, in that it was a unique, pretty unique in Europe, in that it was a, um, a very young uh, population demographic with very few pensioners. So they cherry-picked the best of uh, DC pensions around the world from both Eastern Europe and Latin America and Australia in particular and devised a mandatory DC pension scheme which is still going and is still very successful and they were looking for practitioners. I was a trustee on the Citibank scheme at the time and the lady, the lawyer asked me to apply and uh, I was appointed chair and saw that through from inception right the way through till the end of my second term um, when it was the largest financial institution in Kosovo. But that involved everything from buying a generator and hiring the staff to make sure that things can be processed on time to dealing with uh, the local government and maintaining the independence of the, uh, uh, of the assets, the members' assets, as their members' pots. Because as was common throughout much of this time, um, all over where there were mandatory pension schemes, governments wanted to get to that, that money. Um, and I'm very proud that that was resisted the whole time that I was uh, in Kosovo, ably supported by a number of other trustees as well. Mm -hmm. um, that must have been an interesting time. Um, surely there were some anecdotes. It was, the, uh, it was probably the most fulfilling role I've ever played. Not a... Not always a, not always a, a happy role, but um, Kosovo, as you know, was and remains quite quite split, um, not just uh, ethnically, but also the the pension system um, excluded this new pension system, current pensioners who quite rightly were very um, 
skeptical about financial institutions and pensions in particular, because after the war, um, the Serbian government stopped paying their pensions. So we went on a round of uh, town hall meetings around Kosovo to introduce the new scheme and introduce ourselves. Um, but unfortunately, because the we hadn't thought through that the, the membership, the workforce, were all at work, and so the rooms were full of pensioners who weren't in the scheme, who were very, very disgruntled, and came up in one instance, I remember, to my colleague and threw their pension books at them because they were not included within this pension scheme. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Mm. Uh, other aspects in that are dealing with the EU, very topical now, and USAID. Um, USAID were, in particular, were excellent and very, very uh, professional and thorough in all aspects of helping to get this important initiative uh, off the ground. So, yeah, that was a good time. Mm. You mentioned the EU. Do you think um, pensions will be affected by what's happening in politics? Well, I don't think so, particularly here. I mean, now contrasting that experience and my role at Citibank when I was uh, responsible for uh, their pension strategy within Europe. I spent a lot of time in Brussels. Now my role at Capital Cranfield, it's a domestic role. We're looking at UK pension schemes and meeting the needs of UK schemes and, and trustees. Um, so it's, and many of them, they're private sector schemes as well, mostly DB, most of which are closed uh, to new membership and accrual. So it's a risk management game, but it's a sterling UK risk management game for most of them. I mean, there are obviously differences at the very large, uh, large scheme end. But as with most, um, our client base matches that of the UK. We have a, we have a number of very very large schemes, but it's the long tail of mid to small size schemes that ha that need uh, the focus for governance, access to the best in breed in asset management. Um, absolutely copper bottom robust administration etc um, and that is often lost in the focus i think on the on the large schemes do you think uh, much will change in terms of regulation well the, the tpr has just um completed its uh well tpr's consultation has just completed um and they are looking at uh, my world our world professional trusteeship very closely now. Um, the consultation was quite muddled, to be honest. It mixed up DB and DC. It mentioned savers, but not members. Um, where And it's clear from the press and listening to, to um, our friends at the regulator, their key concern is in the long tail of small subscale DC schemes. But that train's already left and with the rise of the master trusts and a very um, uh, necessary consolidation is already underway into that. That's where their focus should be in terms of member governance, We, I feel, rather than necessarily conflating small-scale DB and small-scale DC, which are very different questions to address. Um, the role of the sponsor and the strength of the covenant being what, for example. Um. As you mentioned, the regulator currently has a lot of focus on trusteeship. Where do you stand in the whole accreditation and standards? Well, we've um, the accreditor. We fully support the accreditation. All the um, 
and the standards, um, the key points in the standards, the PMI exam, the CPD, the fit and proper test, we and I'm sure a number of other firms were already doing that anyway, so it's not really uh, an issue. The accreditation has run into the sand a bit on um, how to measure soft skills. Our concern is the bureaucracy it imposes, not just on the firms, but potentially on uh, members and schemes as well. Um, one of the questions in the uh, uh, in the consultation was, should there be, should it be legislated that there be a professional trustee on every scheme? Um, and our view is no, it shouldn't be legislated. Now, professional trustees can and do add value to schemes every day, but not every scheme needs them, um, and there aren't enough of them to go around. And by forcing that route, um, there could be unintended consequences of uh, dumbing down of standards, making it a compliance-driven tick-box exercise, which would be most unfortunate because the whole point of professional trusteeship is, a, is, is judgment and experience that the trustee brings. Um, and also the, the burden um, akin in some ways, but, but, but worse in many ways, to the CMA review on fiduciary management, which has imposed a uh, administrative and a cost burden on all schemes that have it on the tendering process. If you do the same on um, hiring a professional trustee, then I, I think that would be unsustainable for, uh, for most small schemes, many small schemes. Um, uh, which would free up the trustee population that's available, the professionals, both the both the sole operators, those individuals, but also the firms, um, to be appointed where they're needed. I would be my uh, would be my argument there. Do you think TPR is just sending a signal by putting this into the consultation? Um, yes, but I'm not sure what their signal is on 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 doing that. In the well, apart from the obvious of they wish to write, raise standards of trusteeship and they evidently see and have told us and have said in the consultation that professional trusteeship does raise standards ipso facto put a professional trustee on every board behind it is also explicit as their consolidation agenda um, but again there's a mix then between db and dc and how that uh, how that goes which I'm, which i'm not sure about mm -hmm. um there has also been some focus on the independence of third-party trustees. Do you see any conflict or problem there? Uh, no, I don't. Um, this has been raised a number of, well, there's, 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 there's a number of facets to that question. One is that the, generally the sponsor is paying your fee. And does that compromise your, your, your uh, present a conflict of interest? Now, the point of conflict of interests are they need to be transparent and they need to be managed and identified and not and not hidden that one is pretty transparent and is and and is out there but a professional trustee lives or dies on its on its reputation um, and its fiduciary responsibility to to members so any professional trustee that compromises himself or itself or herself um, by being if you like supplicant to the sponsor would soon damage their reputation um, not only in the eyes of the regulator, but also advisors and crucially uh, of members as well. Do you see any weaknesses in the trust-based model? I just, I just also like to um, 
just conclude on that the independent when the regulator came up with the definition of professional trustee um, we argued that independence was at least if not more important than the professor would they re rejected that within the uh, within the definition and came up with a separate definition of what makes an independent trustee but the true uh, so professional trustee is now shorthand really for a professional independent trustee and that independence is absolutely central not only to capital cranfield but to all professional trustees because of the nature of their fiduciary duties which makes it different to all the other advisory positions that are around the table the risk comes when you conflate fiduciary independent trustee duties and potentially with advisory duties and um, mission creep in that respect then you might have problems of conflict of interest in who fires the actuary if the actuary is on the same payroll as the as the trustee mm -hmm. and um, there seems to be a lot of pressure on the on the trust based model is that do you feel the same i, I don't see in, in what respect um, in terms of the increase in regulation oh in that well yes i think the Certainly, I mean explicitly. The well, this is on their drive to raise to raise standards, and if you are starting from scratch, you may not start from here. Um, and the trust-based model does have demographic pressures to uh, uh, that it has to face in order for it to to be sustained. Not least the availability of lay trustees and MN trees. We have clients, for example, that are foreign-owned subsidiaries, um, UK subs of foreign-owned parents, where the business has gone, the workforce has gone, but the fiduciary, the pension responsibility and liability is still there. Now that, that puts a pressure on the trust-based model, which is where sole trusteeship comes in. And as with um, most of the other firms, I'm sure, is a very fast-growing part of our business, both from existing clients moving from a traditional governance model to a sole trustee model, um, but also new clients coming in uh, looking at that. Um, and that was a there's a number of important questions within the uh, regulators' consultation on sole trusteeship, um, where the their focus seems to be on concerns that the trustee may be... Um, inappropriate or conflicted in a sole trusteeship our challenge and I know many of our um, uh, peer firms have, have, have presented this as well is the issue is not with the trustee the issue is with the sponsor as where things go wrong there's nothing to stop the sponsor if they don't like what they're hearing to fire the trustee and find a, either compliant lay trustees or a, or a compliant sole trustee Sole trustee is a bit of a misnomer. It's unfortunate because it implies it's one individual, and, and it's not. Um, there's always at least two, in our case, three pairs of eyes over everything that's done um, within the within a sole trustee appointment. So in many ways, it's much more it's more robust and certainly more agile than the than the traditional way. Mm -hmm. And have you um, had any feedback from the regulator on? What you said about just just acknowledged our um, our submission. <laughs> um, we'll hear later, I guess. And um, if you had the power to, maybe if you were a regulator or 
politician, what would you change about the current pensions landscape? Well, I would insist that a, that a pensions minister be in situ for at least three years rather than the shameful revolving door we've had over the last God knows how many years, um, which is more than just changes in government. It's just disrespect for the importance of pensions to, uh, to the nation within that and some uh, consistency uh, of message and application across. And that, that revolving door has been within a landscape of uh, freedom and choice where effectively the unintended consequences of freedom of choice on everything from funding of DB schemes to scams to member communications. Many of the aspects of freedom of choice were very welcome, but it was but it was thrown on the private sector. And it, from the government's point of view, it was not thought through, resourced or, um, or, or resourced appropriately, and no minister has paid attention to it since. And we've seen shameful instances such as British Steel as a direct consequence uh, of that. Um, so that some consistency in that and to stop tinkering with it, I think that would be the other. But I think it is a, uh, I don't think my, my wishes were going to be fulfilled <laughs> in the current environment. Well, that's the, and the other aspect is CDC is a great example. Everyone agrees CDC is the way to go from the unions to the sponsor to the government, but that still requires the legislation and of course they're all talking about other things rather than enabling legislation to make that so it's stuck in the political mire. And um, obviously you've been in pensions for, for quite some time now. What What's kept you in the sector despite everything? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not despite everything. Because um, there are some fantastic people in the sector and it's a uh, and as I learned in my trusteeship when I was at, uh, at Citibank and in Kosovo, it's the fiduciary responsibility you're making a difference. I can't build a wall, I'm not a dentist, I'm not a doctor, but you know, you can help people's member outcomes. That's, what, that's why all our trustees do it, because they can make a difference with their experience uh, in that field. And it's very rewarding. And you meet some very bright, very interesting people. Mm. And uh, I hear that from a lot of people that the purpose of pensions they find extremely rewarding and they like to work in the sector. Yet um, nobody who goes to university or looks for a job seems to particularly target the pension sector. I think the actuaries might have a different view on that, although that's a decline. Maybe by the actuary. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, you're right. A, because it's complicated, and it's not on when you go to university. It's not at your top of your mind when you're going. Um, my son's just started university. Pensions are no way near the top of his mind, and it takes some explaining to him. He's a bright lad, but what I actually do and what's um, what's involved. So I think it when it does affect you when you start in work and you can see and you start thinking about your pension or the inadequacies of your current pension plan or your worries about the state of your um, employer in terms of are they going to be around to pay that pension and secure that pension. Those things do heighten, uh, heighten things up, I think, for people to think about it. But as a, on the trustee side, it's an ex as I've touched on earlier, 
and I've spoken with a number of people recently about encouraging younger trustees um, into uh, into pensions, and there's absolutely a case for that. Um, and they are trust. Um, the average age of trustees is, is coming down. In my five years at Capital Cranfield, the average age has fallen from I think it was about sixty-four to about fifty-three. So that's just in five years, and we're fifty-fifty um, men and women. Um, but on the DB side, it's a experience in, and judgment are the key factors which you can't get fresh out of university. On the DC side, I think it's different. It's, it's, it's member outcomes, it's comms, as much as important factors like governance, um, investment, etc. And I think the uh, if one of the other, back to your previous question on a, on a wish, I think it's very important that members get a voice on master trust boards uh, and it's thrown back that oh how could you do that because they're multi-employers etc they're very bright people in pension there's where there's a will there's a way and that can be that can be solved but um, the from a fiduciary an experiential point of view they're in a very good place because they've all got to have three independent trustees on them um, who will look after the governance, the admin, the relationship with the sponsor, the authorization, the chair statement um, for what it's worth, the investment. But the but having a younger member of the trust or a couple of members would, in my mind, be a real added benefit to not only master trust, but hearing the voice of the young people who who aren't there because uh, they're not in the deep private sector DB schemes because they all closed um, at least 10 years ago mostly so that's one change that I would uh, that I would promote mm. and suggest so do you see the future of MNTs in DC definitely I think absolutely whether you call them MNTs um, or whether you call them an advisory panel or a member panel whether you load them with the potentially onerous uh, duties and responsibilities that the professional trustees are under is a separate matter. But having them in the room and contributing to important factors that the members want, and that's everything from communication channels to um, uh, investment choices, etc., etc. That's what some may well do this, and I know many of the uh, advisory firms do this into developing their their master trust offerings, um, but that nothing can beat actually having the member uh, or members on the uh, on the master trust board as well. I would suggest. Mm -hmm. um, you um, you obviously spend a lot of time with pensions, um, looking after people's pensions. Do you look after your own? <laughs> Mine is very straightforward. I've only ever worked for two companies before Capital Cranfield, so I have a DB and a DC, and that's that's it basically. It's not much much less complicated than uh, uh, than many people's who have had more varied careers than uh, than I've had in that. In that regard. When, when did you last look at the pension statement? Oh, uh, last week. I'm of an age when you do look at pension statements and get valuations and things. And uh, what would an ideal retirement be like for you? In terms of uh, what would doing, what, what would I want to do? Yes. Would you just keep working or would you uh, do something? Well, I have a little border terrier. 
Herman is now eight years old and much to my family's amusement I'm rather infatuated with Border Terrier um, Facebook groups of which there are a number and they're a very supportive community um, and there's one particular one, Silver Borders who are older Border Terriers who come to the end of their life so something to support a, ref, a refuge or a, or something for older Border Terriers would that's what I would like to do. That, then you'd make a real difference to what are absolutely the best dogs in the world. That's fascinating. My last interview, he said exactly the same. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. yes. I think it was a different breed of dog. Yeah, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy, my little border terrier, um, I miss terribly when I'm there, when I'm in London. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to hear from more people like Neil about their path to pensions and what makes pensions interesting, please tune in again soon.